Father. We thank you for Penny. We thank you, Lord, for your hand on her life and for the words uh, you've given her for this morning. And we pray, take these words of hers and breathe life into them, Lord, and open our hearts, Lord, to receive what you've got to say to her through, to us through her. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, over the last weeks, a few weeks, we have been in a sermon series called Foundations. And this um, concludes the Foundations series, um, which was um, looking at what foundations we can be building our lives on as Christians. And we've been using the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words in Matthew, um, as our basis, which is a great basis. So um, this morning, we're looking at the section on oaths and vows. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I'm going to be encouraging us to be part of a truth revolution. Because our words are so powerful and we do have to think carefully about what we're saying all of the time. And continue to develop a habit of being truthful and being known as a people of integrity. Now that said... I'm really prone to exaggeration and drama and embellishment because I do love telling a story. But often that story would be just a tiny bit better with a little bit something extra. Um, But over the years, what this has done is actually erode my stories because anyone that knows me well knows that I am prone to embellishment and so the story actually gets watered down, which is the opposite of what I'm hoping for. But so what does truth and integrity look like um, for us today? Well, on social media, we show parts of our lives that whilst a true reflection of a moment are not in fact a true reflection of who we are or what's going on in our lives. Even this morning, how many of us had a crossword with a spouse or a bit of a crossword with children or woke up? feeling a bit cross, feeling a bit anxious, and yet we've walked in church, whacked a smile on our faces, and appear as serene as Jesus himself. We don't always like people knowing the real us and the real truth about us. We're in an era where truth is actually a rare commodity, an age of politics, white lies, saving truth, saving face, half-truths, fake news. Marriage vows are no longer bulletproof, Adultery is commonplace. We trust no one. In fact, we're actively encouraged to trust no one. Indeed, my husband gets cross with me when I'm being too trusting. Post-trust was the Oxford Dictionary's international word of 2016. It describes a situation in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotional and personal belief. But let's dig into what Jesus had to say about how we speak and how we make sure our words are powerful in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're looking at chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, 
or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now I'm going to read the same passage from the message version of the Bible. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it. Or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Well, a modern day example of what was going on back then is the recent situation with the politician Gavin Williamson, who some of you may have seen, uh, publicly swore on his children's lives that he hadn't told the press secrets about, um, from the National Security Council, hoping to somehow sound more truthful. Now, he may indeed be telling the truth. That's not my point here. But using his children's lives isn't necessary. Either he did it or he didn't. On face value, Jesus is telling us to cut the you-know-what and speak plainly and clearly and truthfully. The issue he's addressing goes to the very core of a person's character, to the heart of what it means to live like a child of God. Now, some Christians have taken this passage very literally, refusing to take an oath in a court of law or in a marriage ceremony. But I don't think that that is Jesus' point here. Oaths and vows show up remarkably often in both Old and New Testament. And aside from this passage and another passage in James, the rest of the Bible doesn't actually prohibit oaths at all. Indeed, the law specifically commanded God's people to swear their oaths in God's name. And we see an example of that in Deuteronomy. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. It also says, though, in Leviticus, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. And this ban on swearing falsely by the name of God is also one of the Ten Commandments, which we all know, I think it's number three. Um, Taking the name of the Lord in vain includes taking it lightly, or um, treating it as common or trivial. O oh God, Jesus Christ, Jesus, how often are these expressions banded around? They're just commonplace now. Um, and dare I say it, even amongst Christians. Now, when I was growing up, I would have had my mouth washed out with soap and water if I'd uttered God's name in vain, and that has stuck with me ever since. And yet... If you weren't brought up in a legalistic 70s Christian home, you may not have really grasped the enormity of it. But it is commandment number three of only ten, and so um, and alongside not committing murder and adultery. Interesting. In fact, my grandpa felt so strongly about it that if someone said Jesus Christ around him, he would say, oh, how lovely that you know my best friend. Which sounds a bit silly and extreme, but Jesus meant a lot to him. <coughs> and he sh- should mean a lot to us. He does mean a lot to us. So it's something to keep a check on, just alongside the other non-murdering commandments. <laughs> um, going back to oaths, though, 
We see in the Old Testament, oaths were to be sworn in God's name only, and they were to be used for affirming important matters, and were used to resolve disputes, to seal agreements or covenants, or simply to affirm the truthfulness of important declarations. One example is the oaths exchanged between Abraham and Abimelech at Beersheba, which was, uh, it was used to settle a dispute about some wells. And there are many, many other examples of oaths in the Bible. A vow was a specific kind of oath in which the person making the vow solemnly swore to pay something to God in return for God's favor or blessing. And we, we know the story of uh, Hannah in Samuel. Hannah, a mother of Samuel, vowed that if God would grant her a son, because she was barren, she would devote her son to God as a Nazarite. God did give her a son, and she fulfilled her vow, bringing Samuel to the temple and giving him over to Eli, the high priest, which would have been a huge thing for her. An interesting aside here, I didn't know what a Nazarite was, so I thought I'd look it up, and because I thought it was quite interesting, I'm going to tell you all what it is in case anyone doesn't know. <laughs> Perhaps you all do. Um, a Nazarite's an Israelite who was consecrated to the service of God under vows to abstain from alcohol, let their hair grow, and avoid defilement by contact with dead bodies. I'm glad my mum didn't make the same vow, although I suspect you had to be male. But how many of us make vows with God? Well, not even with God, but if you do X, Y, or Z, I'll do A, B, or C. How many of us follow through like Hannah did at great cost? And as you read through the Bible, you do see that oaths and vows were very serious things. And that I look at our lives today, I don't know that we take very much that seriously. So what was the significance of swearing by or swearing um, by someone or something? Well, in the Old Testament, when you swore by someone, you were invoking that person as a corroborating witness to attest to your words and a judge against you if your words were found to be untrue. And as we see in the passage, the Jews had put an interesting twist on all of this and they had trouble telling the truth consistently, just like you and I at times. So in order to guard themselves against being found guilty of swearing falsely by the name of God, it seems they had established the habit of swearing by everything except God. They wanted to add some kind of force to their promises to make their words more credible, but they didn't want to incur the judgment of God by swearing something in his name when they didn't fully intend to make it good or when it wasn't entirely true. And as we see in that passage that we read, Instead of swearing by God, they were swearing by heaven or by earth or Jerusalem or even by their own heads. It seems it was pretty silly. Oaths became like contests to see who could bind the most impressive object to his statements to give them the greatest force. They were coming up with all sorts of mental acrobatics to insulate themselves from accountability to God. And Jesus told them, you cannot get away from all your accountability to God by invoking things because God is sovereign over all things. Now, I don't believe Jesus' point in Matthew 5 is that oaths are evil or that an oath can never be legitimate. I think his point is that the swearing of oaths as practiced by the scribes and Pharisees was evil because they were deliberately swearing their oaths by everything except God in a foolish effort to sidestep their accountability to God. But Jesus pointed out that God alone is sovereign over all things and we're sovereign over nothing. We're accountable to him every time we open our mouths. The heart of the matter in this passage has nothing to do with the formality of an oath or a vow. The heart of the matter is the heart. 
Jesus' conclusion is to let your statement be yes or no. Anything beyond these is from the evil one. And if we reserve truthfulness only for declarations that take the form of oaths or vows, and we neglect truthfulness the rest of the time, that's like the Pharisees, and just Jesus describes that as evil. Now, later on in Matthew, Jesus accuses the Pharisees and scribes of being hypocritical because of the way in which they were swearing by everything but God. And as a hypocrite, as we know, is someone who makes the appearance of being what he is not, which takes me back to my point about social media, where we are often trying to betray ourselves as actually something we are not. Um, so my, one of my challenges this morning is to think before we post anything. Now, I am not a stranger to Facebook, as anyone who is my friend here knows that, and I do post stuff, and I would say it has a significant place in society today. Um, I think it's, I would even be an advocate of it, actually, because it keeps you in contact with friends and family who are overseas or whatever, so there's some really good aspects to social media. But if we're using it to show off or portray ourselves to be something that we're not, I do believe that is dangerous both to us but also to people around us. And the current explosion in mental um, health amongst adolescents particularly, their issues is largely attributed to the use of social media. And so I think I just want to say it's really important that we use it wisely and that we're sort of teaching particularly our children and our young people how to use it wisely. And truthfully, and be honest, I'm not suggesting, as James this morning said, showing his wife putting the bins out. I'm not suggesting we need to <laughs> go so far. But let's be, um, you know, let's just think before we post. Why are we posting what we're posting? So what other challenges do we have from this passage? How do we constructively think about where we could make changes um, and apply Jesus' teaching to our daily lives? Can we still make oaths and vows? What do we think about that? How literally are we going to take his words? Well, I think we do need to think more about being honest when we say yes or no and let our yeses be yes and no and stop saying, for example, things um, we can do things when we can't and ultimately letting people down. When we say yes to someone or something, follow through. So a bit of commitment to pray for someone regularly, make sure we're praying or arrange to meet up with someone. And if we're not sure, say we're not sure. Because we can really erode trust if we become and continue this sort of fickle and flaky, sort of a better opportunity comes up and we ditch the original one. We're all, I think, if I look 20 years ago, I don't think people did that so much, but I think now it's completely accepted that if a better opportunity comes up, you literally ditch the other one and make up some random excuse. And I have done it with, on behalf of my children, not on behalf of myself. <laughs> Um, but it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Um, so, um, yeah, so let's be a people who really think about what we say and what the implications are of what we're saying. Another challenge from this message is also on the subject of marriage. So obviously the marriage covenant is an exceedingly sacred matter. It's one of the few formal covenants that we have in our culture today. And um, God singles it out over and over in the Bible as a covenant, unlike any other. He declares it to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. He declares it to be a sacred bonding of two into one flesh in his eyes. He said, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. And when we have solemnly vowed before God and God's people to remain faithful to our spouses until death, in sickness and in health, 
Does his character compel us to do what we have sworn? Yes, it does. And is that a tough standard? Yes, it is. But it's what God calls us to. Now, there are, of course, circumstances where we're released from this, our spouse committing adultery or severe abuse. And there is grace where we've messed up, but we don't enter into it lightly. So, in conclusion, let's become truthful people, truthful from the heart. We'll not speak truth in our hearts, though, if we're not in love with Jesus, who is truth. Let us be truthful people because God created us to be pure in heart. Let's be truthful people because we desire to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. Let us be truthful people because we long to live out the amazing character of Jesus, who gave us life at the cost of his own life. Imagine a society where truth is valued highly again. Let's start a truth revolution. Let's be a people who, when someone's describing us, integrity is the first thing that comes to their minds. In our business dealings, let's be truthful to a fault, and that might sometimes mean seemingly losing out. But God is a God of abundance, and we see that time and time again in the Bible. And when we follow his lead and his teachings, we never lose out. Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. And as we walk with him in truth, I truly believe we will see that come to pass. Now, having said that, I am sure there are people here for whom truth or lack of it has been a source of very great sadness and has led to a distrust in trust. And as we walk this earth together, it's important to remember that we will let each other down by being economic with the truth, by breaking promises. Forgiveness is the only way forward, and yet that can sometimes feel the furthest thing away from what we can do. But God is a God of miracles and a God of love. And we should keep pressing towards truth and forgiveness and allow the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom as we journey together. Um, Let's pray. At the end of the last service, I felt um, God just, the words, test me. And um, someone said to me this week that it isn't realistic for you to be completely honest at all times. There's lots of, you know, we live in a world that isn't honest. And so it's not possible to work alongside that by being totally honest. And I, um, I really took that on board and I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this morning. And this morning I just had these words test me and I, and I believe that is for some people here who are sitting there thinking it's just not realistic to be honest and truthful at all times. And I believe God wants to say to you, that yes, just test me, test me, test me that I'm good and that I will um, honour you and honour your truthfulness. So Father, I do pray this morning that you would just come and by your Holy Spirit just be sort of wishing out the cobwebs of our, our minds and the tangledness that we get into, both the lies we tell ourselves and also just the lies that we've been telling people around us, the way in which we're trying to pretend that we're something that we're not, Please just come and um, kind of give us a fresh start. Could today be a fresh start for us all, that we could move forward in truth and honesty with you and amongst each other. We pray for forgiveness, Lord, just to flow so easily. 
where hurt has been very deep. <laughs> 